Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to an irreverent podcast. For more unholy content from our friends, head to irreverent.fm. Hey friends, welcome to the Speaking in Church podcast. I'm here with a returning guest, our first three-peat, I believe, Matthew Young. Matt Young, as I call him, or Matt, whatever you so desire. <laughs> What's I don't up? care. I just, if, if I'm the first three-peat, I need a t-shirt or something, though. I know. I'm going to have to send you one. I'll just, I'll get like a Sharpie and put just a big number three, like Dope. Chance the Rapper, but <laughs> more childlike. <laughs> Well, um, Matt is here as an economist, as a book writer, theologian, um, to talk about this lovely new development in the Supreme Court called the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Yay! Nice, lighthearted content for us today. We're so excited. I know. Well, before we begin, Matt, how about you tell us um, a little bit about your personal views on abortion, and then I'll share mine. Oh, man. Uh, Right off the start, huh? Um, All right. So uh, this gets really complicated. Um, I'm I'm sort of one of those that like abortion makes me really uncomfortable. Like Mm. it's 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 one of those gray areas that's like so gray. I don't know what to think about it. Yeah. Um, if, I mean, theologically, um, if you look at like in Genesis and the Bible, um, and ancient Jewish tradition, it's really clear that the belief is that life begins at birth when mm-hmm. the first breath is taken. Um, there, there's a lot of, emphasis and symbolism on God breathing the breath of life into Adam. And there's a separation. Um, this actually doesn't happen until much later, like second temple Judaism, where there's a separation sort of between spirit and soul mm. and the soul inanimate until God breathes the spirit into it. And so, um, for, for, and not, you know, it's not, um, only biblical text. That's not really the only source you rely on. If you look at like the book of Enoch, it's pretty clear about this. And even early Christian books that didn't make the cut into the Bible, like, um, the secret book of John or the book of Baruch, Hmm. um, they sort of have this, make it really pretty clear in sort of the same way that life begins whenever a baby takes its first breath. Um, in that instance, I probably disagree with scripture. I think it begins sometime before birth, but I don't know when. Mm. Um, the all of the evangelicals will give you, you know, they'll cite a few scriptures that talk about um, God knowing somebody, you know, before they were before they were in the womb or um, having plans for them while they were in the womb, and so they say this is evidence that life begins at conception. Um, and I just don't, I don't see that. Uh, that is too big of a jump. Mm. Um, because you know, the, the most, the most commonly cited one is when God says, before I formed you in the belly, I knew you. And that so that's very clearly preconception. Yeah. Um, and, and so that sort of hints toward some sort of familiarity with God preconception. And so the question then becomes if, if that was who we are preconception, at what point in pregnancy does that preconception who, that we are, that God knows become joined with the fetus. And I just don't have an answer to that question. Yeah. Um, I'm an economist for a living. And I think <laughs> to try to have an answer to that question, you have to get the world's 
smartest ethicists and philosophers and geneticists and OBGYNs. And, and then on top of that, you'd probably have to get somebody who sits down and has a conversation with God. I am none of those things. There, you know, those, <laughs> there are five, five different types of people there that we need to all come to a consensus to say, here's when life begins. I am not any one of those five people. And so I don't really have an answer to the question personally for me. I don't have an answer to the question of when life begins. I don't, I'm not comfortable with the idea, the, the, you know, old ancient Hebrew and early Christian idea that it begins at, at, at breath. Mm -hmm. um, but I also don't think there's any support for the idea that it begins at conception. I don't actually think that's anywhere in the Bible. Mm -hmm. And it's not, it, it's not logical that it begins at conception either, because um, and then in that case, every miscarriage is a death. And so you have to either accept that the, the, the woman who miscarried did something wrong to kill the baby or God got angry and decided to kill the baby. Yeah. Um, there's no other, there's no other explanation there. Right. Um, and, and if you get real Catholic and say, well, now every miscarried fetus was not baptized and they're all going to hell. Oh my God. Or if, if you get, or if you get really evangelical and say every miscarried fetus uh, did not accept Jesus into their heart. So they're all going to hell. Um, like it gets real sticky real quick. Mm -hmm. And then you, you, we're not even dealing with like eptopic pregnancies where at, you know, at what point, you know, if, if life begins at conception, then there's an eptopic pregnancy and God is literally saying, all right, now we have to choose either kill the baby or kill the mom. There's no other choice. Mm -hmm. That's it. One or the other. And like, I, maybe you could make an argument that like old Testament God would love to do that sort of stuff. Uh, but certainly the Jesus I read about in the new Testament would not be down with that sort of thing. So for me, it, I don't know when life begins. And again, I'm not smart enough. I'm not in tune with God enough and I'm not insightful enough to know when it begins and so I've got no business telling anybody when it begins. And so I've got no business telling anybody whether or not they should have an abortion, even though it's something that I'm personally not comfortable with. Uh, it's, it's not my business to stop it. I, you know, it, in, I think every situation is unique, different. And so every situation ought to be between the mother, the doctor and God. And that's mm -hmm. it. Those are the only three people that should have a say at all, my opinion, uh, because there's just like, you're going to tell me that like Ted Cruz and Mitch McConnell are in tune enough with God to know when life begins. I'm I, like, I'm just not buying that. Yeah. So, so it's just, yeah, that's, that's sort of my stance on it. I like it. I appreciate it. Um, a lot of you are probably wondering, why the heck is Josie talking to some white guy about abortion? And let me tell you, <laughs> one, I am pro-choice. Um, whether or not, I mean, I would at this point in my life have an abortion if I were to get pregnant because I am pretty disabled and... I value my own life and I'm pretty sure the Lord does as well. My quality of life, as well as you're like not supposed to be stressed when you're pregnant. So I would be super stressed and the baby would come out a serial killer. So I don't feel like doing that to the world. Um, <laughs> just kidding. But we are talking to Matt specifically because we're not just going to talk about the ethics, right? The theology, we both agree is pretty simple. Lots of us agree is pretty simple. Um, I think if you believe and are a follower of Jesus, then you would believe probably what Jesus believed about abortion and Jesus was Jewish. So, you know, there's that. <laughs> the Jews have a great view on abortion, in my opinion. Uh, the woman always comes first, which to me makes sense. Um, because, you know, like the woman is alive. She can contribute to society already. She can hopefully get pregnant again, which people don't like that argument. Like, oh, well, you can just have another kid because it is painful. But I mean, you can, <laughs> you can have another one, essentially. 
Um, there's also a lot of kids in foster care, a lot of kids who are in abusive homes, a lot of parents of no business being parents who probably should have had abortion access, you know? Um, that's just my personal opinion. And lots of people who grew up in abusive homes and say similar things like, well, I wouldn't have known if I was born or not. So maybe, maybe I shouldn't have, I have a lot of trauma, whatever, whatever, whatever. But we're also going to talk about a lot of the reasons why abortion is a big deal outside of the theology, outside of people's personal beliefs. Um, because of course in America, it's not always about the cute bows that save the children. It, there, of course, there are possible agendas behind everything, right? Like, um, <laughs> what did that lady say? She's like, this is a great step towards white lives. And people were like, oh, that's a slip up. And it's like, oh, is it? I mean, I yeah, feel like. About, yeah, her, Mary Miller. Yes. Um, she. And and if I if, if there was like one example I could make to like put to like pin the tail on the donkey for some of my biggest complaints with like the modern conservative movement. I'm not even comfortable using the word conservative because they don't fit any definition that you'd learn in school about that, but sort of this modern MAGA movement. Mm. Um, Mary Miller, I believe it was on January 6th. Um, if not, it was right around that time talking about it. And she is giving an, like a speech to a bunch of people. Um, and she says that Hitler was right about one thing. If you teach the children young, you'll control them forever. I, I'm probably getting the quote wrong. I don't remember what they exactly suggest. But she definitely said that Hitler was right about that thing. And like, I don't understand for somebody that insists so much on how Christian they are. I don't understand why Hitler's what comes to your mind. If that's the point you want to make, because the Bible says that if you train a child up in the way that they should go, when they're grown, they will not depart from it. Like why does Hitler come to your mind as a reference point and not the Bible? Yeah. That doesn't make sense mm -hmm. for somebody who is like, you know, makes a great point of them defining their lives around their Christianity. It, it's, and, and I mean, there's just one example after another of stuff like this where yeah. so many of these Christians just don't. Anyway, this has nothing to do with abortion. You but I will you say <laughs> it is interesting, though. I will point this out because people on the right, um, whether they're like mid right or far right, they all tend to be pretty pro Israel, like if they're Christian. But then they come out with Hitler quotes and I'm like, ooh, do you, um, the Lord really likes the Jews. So maybe, maybe you should really not like Hitler. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it's, uh, and that's, what's so fascinating <laughs> is there's, there was nothing wrong with her thought. Like it's an argument that religious people have made for thousands of years. Um, and so you have lots of options for people you can bring to memory recall when you want to make that point. Yep. One of those options should not be Hitler. Yeah. I mean, they're just trying to be provocative, right? It's very typical. I guess so. Only Speaking lives. of provocative, <laughs> abortion is very provocative. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the economy of abortion, because this is something that we tend to ignore in all of our feelings and in all of our ethical conversations. But there is an economical debate as to why you should or should not allow abortions, right? For example... Um, one for abortion is, I lost my train of thought, but that we don't have the enough uh, money to sustain the people that we already have on the world, right? Like food, blah, 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 like money and taking care of this person and taking care of this person. On the other hand, there's like social security. Well, if we don't have kids, who's going to pay for the old people? So there's like a million different little pieces, right? That we can talk about. But I'm curious, the ones that you are most interested in right off the bat. 
Yeah, you're thinking big grand picture. Um, oh, I mean. I, yeah, so most of my economics work is not really big grand picture. It's more sort of individual effects. And I like it. Um, and the individual effects of abortion are huge. Um, I'll start with, with, there's a study that's just sort of known as the turnaway study. Um, and this is less economics, um, but I'll get into some economics uh, after this, but, um, it just, a, a researcher found a group of women where it's, it's a perfect experimental group because everybody in this group wanted to get an abortion, but some of the women in this group were turned away because they were a few days late for their state mm. cutoff or they, they didn't have the money to get to the clinic or, you know, you name it. And so you have basically this group where you can compare these same types of people who did and who did not get an abortion. What's the difference between them? And, and it's really pretty clear, um, that the women who did get an abortion were much better off. They mm. were able to, they were um, far less likely to be in abusive relationships. They were much more likely to have uh, pursued higher education. They were much more likely to have earned more money, increased their earnings. Um, and they, and it doesn't even mean that they stopped. They just were not having kids. A lot of them had kids within a, a few years afterward. And um, even among those kids, they, those kids were uh, less likely to have um, traumatic experiences, less likely to be involved in the criminal justice system, um, you know, less likely to be in poverty, all these sorts of things mm. that are just, sort of, you know, what you would think of as the benefit of being able to plan when you have a child. Um, all that goes away without a right, without a right to abortion. Um, yeah, so it's called the turnaway study. Um, I advise everyone to read it. Um, the next study that I will advise people to read um, is an economic study about crime and abortion. Mm. Um, and yeah, and this is really fascinating is that crime rates in the US, you know, everybody talks about a crime wave right now. And, and right now it's actually like it's going up, but it's just no close to what it was like 50, 40, 30 years ago. Right. And there there was a, a couple of economists who uh, thought to themselves, I bet this change, this legalized, this change for legalized abortion has had an effect of decreasing crime rates. Um, and so they took a bunch of data uh, and basically compared. So uh, Roe v. Wade was sort of the, the, the big broad brush stroke for legalized abortion across the country, but abortion had become more and more legalized and more liberal in certain states across mm -hmm. certain times. And, and what they do is they do a bunch of fancy math and they show that sort of as abortion becomes legalized between 18 and 22 years later, crime drops quite a bit huh and yeah yeah fascinating um and it was really controversial at the time a lot of people thought oh that doesn't make much sense and there were some other economists who um well so i mean the implication there is that the only the the people who um are the implication, I'm trying to think of the best way to say this, the people who are more likely to get an abortion are also more likely to raise criminals. Um, but that's just not, that's sort of the, the inference people draw. But that's or not that poverty leads to crime. Yeah, exactly. that's see, and that's exactly what it is. Is it's not necessarily that there's a type of person. It's just that the situation that they're in. Right. If you if you think about that's and that's why I started with the turnaway study, mm -hmm. because if you think about the effects that we see in the turnaway study, then these kids who are less likely to be poor, whose mothers are now less likely to be in abusive relationships, and whose mothers are now more educated, then these kids are definitely less likely to commit crime. Mm -hmm. um, and, and uh, so there's been some subsequent research sort of on this same issue. And these same two authors um, sort of updated this study recently, four or five years ago, I want to say. Um, and, and the results still hold. And in fact, I think they're even stronger now that we have higher, we have lots higher computer power. Um, so you can do a lot fancier stuff with data. And I think the results definitely still hold. Mm. Um, 
and and the other the, the in my opinion the biggest place where we're going to see an impact is in women's pay mm. um because now i'm going to say something please listeners don't break your phone <laughs> hear me out let me finish this <laughs> so the 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 gender pay gap where women make depending on what study you know 18 to 20 some eight cents less than what men make um is not due to gender discrimination uh so when economists measure the gender pay gap what they do is because we have really fancy computers what you can do is sort of control for the differences in pay that are due to um differences in education uh how differences in how long someone's been at their job differences in how their total career experience um differences in um you know things like that and and what we what economists find is that uh the gender pay gap is really due to um men and women pursuing different degrees and working in different fields but then even but then you can condition on okay it's once you have all that data you can condition on okay so now let's just suppose a man and a woman get the same degree from the same school and work in the same field now what are we looking at and women still get paid less and and what you look at what we see why women get paid less there is that um, even for them being the same age, they have less workforce experience and less tenure. So that means that the average woman, even though she's the same age as the man, has not been in the workforce for as long and has not been at that job for as long as the man. And those sorts of things are what explain, you know, you suppose if you get regular raises every year, whatever, then that's sort of what makes up the difference. And so this, this gap in pay is not because women are being discriminated against. This gap in pay is because we're punishing motherhood. Mm-hmm. You're, it's, it's because a, a woman who has a child take, you know, I mean, childcare, if I've, I've got four kids, like if I, my, thankfully we're in a place where my wife can stay home and take care of the kids. And thankfully, uh, that was, you know, that's what she wanted to do when right. we got married. That, yeah. That was her, that was her choice. Um, you didn't make you know, her mad. Are you sure? I'm just kidding. I did not make her at all. Um, <laughs> in, in fact, I constantly encourage her to like, she loves, she does great stuff with like Excel and bookkeeping type things. I'm constantly encouraging her to. Oh gosh. Yeah, Um, truly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But, but she, she, she wanted to be a stay at home Mm -hmm. mom and we're in, and you know, that's something that we could do in our situation. And financially Um, it makes more sense, right? Cause what is the childcare for four children? You know? Yeah. That's yeah. That's just, I mean, it's like 1200 a month or something like some crazy amount like that. So, um, so for a lot of women, they will drop out of the workforce until their kid goes to school, which is four or five years. And so if you take, I mentioned, you know, let's just say accountant, if you take two accountants, a man and a woman, the, the woman, if she, you know, maybe she, maybe her family decides to have three kids and they space them out a couple of years apart. Well, that means basically for her entire thirties, she's out of the workforce. So like by the time this woman and a identical man are 50, this man has 10 more years of work experience than her. And, and he's been at his, his, you know, his company for you know, 30 straight years, whereas this woman's only been there 10 years. Mm-hmm. And so that, that explains why women get paid less, um, is, is because we punish motherhood. And, and you also have to take into account other decisions like women might be more likely to quit their, you know, high paying downtown executive job and get a job closer to home where they don't have to deal with commutes and late nights and things like that. Um, because of motherhood again. And so, the solution to like the pay gap in that situation is that you don't punish motherhood, things like paid family leave and maternity leave and stuff like that. So that having a baby and, you know, your child care, whether that's government subsidy or companies help with it, what, you know, whatever. And um, paternity like leave, those, because if a man are able yeah. to take the same amount of time, I would venture to say that lots of men would, they would, you know, switch off or whatever. 
Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, and so like, if you have those things, then motherhood isn't punished and mm. a woman doesn't, doesn't have to, um, and not all women have to, some, some are in a great situation where they don't have to, but a lot of women, um, who do would not have to quit their job for several years or move close, move to a smaller, less lower paying job closer to home. Those, you know, those sorts of things. Um, so without access to abortion, this, you know, we already penalize motherhood in the labor force in the United States. And that's just going to get worse without access to abortion. And so you might end up seeing this gender pay gap even grow even, even larger now, mm -hmm. uh, if, if the effect of overturning Roe v. Wade is such that, you know, it, access to prenatal care, prenatal medical care that they need just isn't there. And, you know, whether that's abortion or whether that's, um, you know, any other of the million things Planned Parenthood does. Yep. Um, so if that's not there, then you may actually see this gender gap grow. And um, something that a lot of people don't really like to talk about is that if you look at wages, almost all of the um, growth in wages in the last 40 or 50 years has been women in the workforce. Um, it's, you know, people talk a lot. I mean, this is sure, I, you know, this is exactly what you wanted to hear in a discussion of abortion mm -hmm. is the in defense of white men uh, argument, but um, <laughs> in, in defense of white men. Uh, so white men without a college degree, which is still absolutely the majority of all, all men, not just white men, all women as well. Um, most people in the United States don't have a college degree, but, um, pay for not even just white men pay for men without a college degree adjusted for inflation has actually gone down in the last 30 or 40 years. And almost all of the pay in labor, all of, almost all of the wage increase in household in household earnings has come from women working. Mm -hmm. Now, I think that's, I think it's a great thing. Women should absolutely be paid more. And like I said, every woman should be able to have a choice about whether they want to work or whether they want to stay home. Mm -hmm. um, part of the reason white men are so angry and Trump voters are so angry is because with men making less money, there's an awful, I mean, I, I live in Tennessee, plenty of Southern Baptists around here. There's an awful lot of families where they would prefer to be able to have the mother stay home. Mm -hmm. But for a lot of people who would prefer that, they can't make that choice because men without a college degree are making less money when, than they used to. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that sort of family pressure is going to get worse without access to a full range of prenatal medical care. Oh, let's let's talk about this. Actually, I like this segue. Oh my God, is healthcare expensive, friends? Um, let's let's not talk about children for a little bit. Let me tell you a little story. All right, I recently went to the ER because I was having a flare up for my fibromyalgia due to some pretty bad news that I got. The worst news I've ever gotten in my life. So I had to go to the hospital to be sedated and to be given some good old anti-inflammatory inflammatory steroids. It was great. Instant pain relief, right? I was at the ER for maybe two or three hours, most of which was just waiting for the fucking doctor to come in and be an asshole to me, right? Because they're like, mm, I don't know. It looks like you're just looking for drugs. Meanwhile, I have this no narcotics band on my arm because I specifically said, don't give me narcotics. That shit doesn't work. I need this specifically. Whatever. I was in Virginia, so, you know, I'm not going to say anything about Southern doctors, but I'm saying a lot about Southern doctors, all right? And she was a woman, so that's that's even worse. <laughs> For this, um, I have insurance. I have normal corporate insurance. My partner works for a major corporation that you all have heard of, Bear Paint Company, right? They ha probably have pretty good insurance compared to lots of other people. I still came out for one shot of Ativan, one shot of a steroid. I came out owing $1,300 to this emergency room. Granted, 
I was very spoiled growing up. My dad worked for a roofer's union, so we didn't pay for shit growing up. I've gotten MRIs, knee surgeries. I've gotten the whole gamut, and my dad never had to pay for anything, right? Union insurance. Pro-union. Go union. But that was just to get sedated and to get an anti-inflammatory drug that at the urgent care cost $30. It was not $30 at the emergency room. Let me tell you that. I looked at my itemized bill. Okay, but that is... Yeah, listeners, <laughs> listeners can't see can't see me like... <laughs> Freaking hand, out? Hand, hand, my face is in my hands. I'm like pulling away at my eyes at the ridiculous price. That is That's just... Insane an emergency room visit right it was in network and everything um but i hadn't met my deductible or whatever bullshit right it's fine i have health savings it's fine i'm fine i don't want to spend 1300 dollars of my health savings when i could use it for a massage but whatever i'm gonna pay it now let's talk about how much it costs to have a fucking baby but let's talk about how much it costs to cost a, to have a baby when you are living in poverty with no insurance. In California, we're fortunate. We have pretty good Medi-Cal or whatever it is. There's a lot of states where you don't have a lot of good health insurance options. And I have a couple friends who had their child. They had insurance. I think it was bad insurance because they worked at a church for the t- at the time. <laughs> and I just, <laughs> I'm going to assume that. They paid $18,000 to have their child in California, wow. in Southern California, $18,000. Yeah. That is with prenatal care. 000. Yeah. Yeah, 10000 seems about normal, so even eighteen is crazy expensive. I mean, they probably went to some bougie doctors. They're pretty bougie, so maybe that was it. But $10,000 is the average per child to have Somewhere a baby. around there. Yeah. And that's a normal baby, just like an everyday baby. Forget about IVF, yeah. forget about insemination. Yeah, that's an, every, that's an everything goes smooth and the thing pops right out the water slide. You don't have to be hospitalized after the fact. Yeah, because if you have a C-section, it's much more expensive because you have to stay at the hospital. So we are trying to force women to not only carry a, no offense to the parents out there, glorified parasite in their bodies for 10 months. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I love the parasites. I love children. They're great. (laughs) But, you know, they're forcing women to carry children for 10 months in their bodies. It is literally a life or death situation. Mother mortality rates in the U.S. are not great. I don't know if you guys know that. It's worse if you're a person of color. It's pretty awful it is life or death we're forcing women to go into a life or death situation and then pay up the wazoo for it yeah and um i don't think i don't think that's probably great for the economy as (laughs) you're not spending money on anything (laughs) yeah it's definitely not um Definitely not. Not unless, not unless you can, uh, uh, never mind. I'm not. You're like stressed as a money guy. You're just so stressed. You're back at when your wife first got pregnant and you were crunching the numbers. You're back there. (laughs) So I'm I'm actually just thinking like economists measure this sort of stuff all the time. And like how you would measure if you were an economist is like whatever dollar value it costs you to have a child. Um, if part of that is debt and you have to think about the interest rates you pay on that debt for debt mm-hmm. service, then, then what you have to do as an economist is you would have to say, what is, well, I'll pick 40 years from now. Really, you would do this every year for the rest of the baby's life. But let's say when the baby is 40 and you're, you're old and retired and the baby's 40, what you would really have to do is you would say, um, what is the value of $10,000 40 years from now? Because uh, that's $10,000 you would have lost, uh, plus the, the value of any lost work that you have done. Plus, and that includes if you are one of these unfortunate moms who just has to quit their job and stay home until their kid goes to kindergarten type thing. Um, so, what, so what is the dollar value of all of those things 40 years from now? And has the child made more money than that? Holy shit. That's how... <laughs> That's, that's how economists would think of this. And economists, and, how, much, how big of a fuck up is your kid there? <laughs> basically, that's how we would think of this as sort of return on investment. Um, God damn it. I'm not a good return on investment. Oh my God. 
I host a podcast. <laughs> I'm just kidding. My dad loves this me. Is, <laughs> this is, and see, that's what's important. Economists, we think too much about monetary values and not enough about non-monetary values. Yeah, my dad the other day, my parents have been pressuring me to get pregnant despite being disabled. Uh, that is Hispanic parents for you. It's great. Um, but <laughs> so I was like, dad, I can't afford to have a kid. Granted my dad, my household and my dad's household makes the same amount of money right now. Um, because I am first generation, I was afforded many privileges that my dad was not afforded. And I married a guy in corporate America. Okay. He's a science guy. I really, that was luck of the draw. Okay. I didn't know that was coming. The Lord provides. Um, hoping not to have to work one day, even though I'm a staunch feminist, don't want to work. I'm tired. I'm so tired. <laughs> and he was like, well, I, I had you when I couldn't afford it and it worked out. My dad, I remember having this conversation with my dad in middle school. He was picking me up from middle school and I was like pressuring him to tell me how much he got paid. When I was in middle school, my dad made $50,000 a year and he was the sole breadwinner. And I think now it's like, if I had 50,000 in Southern California, you afforded three kids? Yeah. How is that possible? <laughs> Granted, we were not, we were definitely living not wealthily, but still, I, I make $100,000, right? We make six figures. I can't afford a child. Yeah, it, it, uh, especially in Southern California, housing markets. Yeah. I mean, Having a kid and a place to live, you would probably need a hundred thousand dollars or more, but to live see, like the basic life, right? Yeah, yeah, but but see, this is this is something that um, that you don't realize. You should be so grateful to Samalito for because um, what. Oh, you froze. One second. Yeah, so, so what you don't realize is that you should actually be really grateful to Samuel Alito because in this opinion overturning Roe v. Wade, uh, he was very clear to point out that what he's doing is actually empowering, especially minority women, because he pointed out that sometime in the past, there, was, there were people who accused minority who accused white people of trying to use abortion and birth control as a form of eugenics against minority women. So he's really just empowering you here. So you really ought to be grateful and listen to your dad and have a baby. Sir, I think that was you. I think that was you and your people that said that. I don't think that was, <laughs> I think that was your plan. <laughs> that, 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 that's something that blew me away when I was, um, now, I haven't had time to actually read the whole opinion yeah. um, that was that that's been handed down, but I read the draft opinion that mm -hmm. was leaked like a month or so ago. Oh, gosh, and yeah. they're, they're pretty they're pretty similar. They're not a whole lot of changes. Um, but one of the things and, and this is also in the actual opinion, this didn't really change much from the draft um, is is when Sam Alito is, you know, he says, oh, in my opinion, Roe v. Wade was egregiously wrong from the start. And which, you know, if, it, if you think it's egregiously wrong, the next possible, the next logical step is to overturn it. But he tries to frame it as like Roe v. Wade was just as bad as Plessy v. Ferguson and Dred Scott. And, and, and that's, and, and like, clearly the logic isn't, easy to grasp there because like overturning Dred Scott and overturning Plessy v. Ferguson so that, you know, minorities actually were sort of like people um, was ex expanding rights and giving rights to them. And yeah. so that's why he has to go into eugenics because he has to be like, oh, Roe v. Wade was so bad because of eugenics. And that's why overturning it is just as good as, you know, overturning separate but equal. And it just... Listen, I'm going to out my own people right now and tell you that there's not a lot of us that would pay $800 for an abortion. I'm just like, mean, there's a lot of money. We don't have 800. We're, we're still not, uh, not all of us are rich, right? We're not all white people. So, I mean, that's, I think we're going to have our kids. We're also, a lot of us are Catholic. So I think 
our numbers are going to be fine, homie. I think we'll be okay. <laughs> but there was this theory that people are... It's not a theory. It's pretty... I think pretty logically founded. But there's a lot of rich people rich white people who don't have children because they're focusing on their career right amazing but there's a large portion of these rich white people that don't want to adopt brown babies and they want babies they want infants and so it's if there's low stock we gotta i think amy coney and what's how do you pronounce that whatever amy fuckerface um she like brought this up and she's like we are like reinvigorating the economy of infants or whatever and i'm like there's a lot of children that need homes you just want a little cute white baby yeah there's like a half a million kids in foster care already waiting to be adopted and And that's yeah anybody who knows anything about the adoption circus i guess is the best word i can come up with it's difficult yeah yeah it's not like suddenly you overturn roe v wade and and everybody can yeah you know every adoption story turns into a disney movie it's just and that's assuming that uh, a young female who accidentally got pregnant knows how to even go about putting her baby up for adoption yeah yeah i know it's uh yeah good old taking away rights it it, i it it doesn't make any sense either because like his argument is that now i mean he makes the argument that roe was was very wrong when it was decided um a lot of people make that argument it was it it was you know the the base for roe was that there's a right to privacy and abortion falls under this right to privacy and even ruth bader ginsburg thought that that was not a very convincing argument and that it would have been better off if it had been under like the equal protection clause or under the due process clause rather than a right to privacy um but Either way, it's it's really interesting that Alito is and Thomas too um, is basically like Alito's argument is if it's not actually spelled out somewhere in the Constitution, then it has to be grounded in the history and tradition of the United States, um, which is <laughs> that's an interesting. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> I thought so too because like. Your fancy guns aren't in the history and culture or whatever of the United States. Muskets are. Yeah, <laughs> but who, that's what I just thought it was so interesting because like who defines history and tradition of what the United States is? Because like a lot of, a lot of evangelicals don't seem to be aware that like John Wayne movies are not historical documentaries. Um, yeah. John Wayne was definitely gay, everybody, by the way, for sure gay. I don't know anything about that. Part of our story is butter, but whatever. You know what I think is really really interesting is that um, black men were unable to vote until like 152 years ago. Uh, Quote, unquote. And so... (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, that that's, I'm, I'm talking like 1870, yeah. uh, when the constitution said they could and the KKK said they couldn't yes. but like yeah. actual, actual federal rights, 152 years ago. That's on that's so for 35% of this country's history, black men couldn't vote. Women of all colors were not allowed to vote until 102 years ago. That is yeah. over half of our country's history. 102 years ago, 56, 57% of our country's history, women couldn't vote. You're really and giving so them fuel here. Yeah, women, of course, women can't vote. We should take that away. No, it's not part of the history and culture of the United States. <laughs> I, yeah, this history and culture, like, it's, I mean, There are a lot of people, I'm not a historian, so I'm not an expert on like the history of abortion laws in this country, but there are a lot of people who butchered that draft opinion that was leaked because he basically said that abortion has never existed in the United States until Roe, which, um, I mean, I'm probably (laughs) oversimplifying. He didn't, he didn't actually say that. Um, but a lot of historians pointed out that he got the history very wrong. Yeah. Um, and so, and so he, updated it so that it was just wrong and not very wrong um, yep. in in this actual opinion but it just it blows me because like i don't know 
I don't know where it stops because the Supreme Court, these these people, this new Supreme Court loves taking away rights. Just they're loves pretty it. intense. I, yeah. So um, I a lot of Roe is getting an awful lot of attention, but they don't realize that um, that are a lot of folks who are very much concerned about Roe, and and I'm not saying that they shouldn't be, um, but overlook a few other cases that have come out in the last couple of weeks too. Like there was, um, there was a case where, uh, they basically said that if police don't read you your Miranda rights, right. then yeah, it, then it doesn't matter. You know, it used to actually matter that you had to be aware of your rights when you're arrested. Yeah. Um, police officers can get their whole case thrown out if they don't read their Miranda rights. Yeah. Because they're rights. That's no longer the case. Um, there's another one. And, and this, this story is just an incredible story. There's a guy who ran a bed and breakfast right on the Canada border and he called the smugglers in. And apparently he was, uh, yeah, you're just asking for, for uh, trouble from customs and border patrol. When you call Truly. The in. But apparently he like actually did smuggle people to and from Canada every <laughs> once in a while. And so uh, uh, a, CBP agent comes to the smugglers in. Um, he apparently tipped off CBP on some illegal people as well. Yeah. Um, but anyway, apparently stuff goes sideways. CBP agent comes to um, his the smugglers in and uh, confronts him about something and ends up like assaulting him. And um, it's it's really a, a really interesting decision that he the supreme court basically says he doesn't have the right to sue customs and border patrol for violating his constitutional rights because congress has not given him the right to sue over that They're, they basically they say congress has to pass laws to say here are certain lawsuits that that are acceptable for violation of constitutional so because there's rights. no precedent you can't make a precedent <laughs> So he, what, here's what the interesting thing is: until this case, you could sue for when when a federal official violates your constitutional rights. Absolutely, um, and and that's and and this is the thing that I think is is hilariously hypocritical about these these originalists, these people who insist, oh, you have to interpret the Constitution exactly as the people in 1780 meant for it to be interpreted. Um, is that like they were very clear when they wrote the constitution that rights are not something that are granted by the government rights are something that exist inherently separate from the government and so it's really interesting that like basically what the supreme court says is americans have this right this right gets violated by a federal government employee you cannot sue because of the violation of that right, unless Congress tells you you can. Which basically, I mean, if you have no recourse for a right, one of, I mean, one of the constitutional amendments, one of, one of the provisions in the constitution is that you have a right to um, seek redress of grievances. And basically what they said is no, you don't unless Congress says you do, which means that the right, the the right itself, you know, yes, yeah, we'll say you have this right, but this right is completely meaningless and unactionable unless Congress tells you it is, which means you don't have that right unless Congress tells you you do, which is not even close to originalist at all. I, so there, I mean, the, the Roe decision is getting the most attention and- right. That's there, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying it shouldn't, um, but but this Supreme Court is on a I mean, they're on a runaway train taking away rights and like Justice Thomas in his in his um, concurring opinion wanted also to take away. Um, he talked about um, Alberta Felby Hodges, which is the gay marriage decision. Get yeah. rid of that. He talked about Griswold v. Connecticut, which is the contraception decision. He talked about getting rid of that. Um, he, I can't remember if he talked about um, criminalizing um, 
criminalizing homosexual intercourse. Don't I don't remember. think those. It's probably one step at a time type of deal. First, you get yeah. the marriage, and then the intercourse. Yeah, maybe. And and it's what what's interesting is he left out interracial marriage. He didn't specifically target that case. I wonder the, why. Yeah, of course. The guy who's in an interracial marriage thinks that this is actually this actually is part of you know the history and tradition of the United States. Interracial marriage is part of the history and tradition of the United States. Well, guess what, Clarence Thomas? You think that your little homies on the Supreme Court are going to let you be the exception to the rule? They might come after you, too, with this interracial marriage thing. So I don't know who the fuck you think you're messing with. Who knows? The The only glimmer of hope that I have, the only... Uh, uh, that's something that I think your listeners should be aware of is, is just one small ray of sunshine poking through the really dark clouds is that a couple of years ago, the Supreme court ruled that. Um, so in the United States, you cannot discriminate on the basis of sex. And two years ago, the Supreme court ruled that that also included um, sexual uh, orientation and gender identity were covered under that discrimination mm -hmm. clause on the basis of sex. Neil Gorsuch wrote that opinion so if Clarence Thomas and Sam Alito decide to get super aggressive and like want to take away rights, you know, like gay marriage and right to contraception and those sorts of things, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure Sam Alito would be on board. I, I, right. I have certainly like, again, I'm an economist, not a legal scholar. I haven't followed Sam Alito's career with a fine tooth comb. Um, so maybe he would, but like I, my inclination is that if he thinks they're covered under sex discrimination and have workforce rights, um, then LGBTQ people probably, I would think under, you know, in his opinion, could still get married. Um, and, and women can still take contraception without mm -hmm. their husband's permission, I would think. Um, and, and chief justice, John Roberts, uh, is, is basically being held hostage at, at his own court. He's he's supposed to be in charge of this court. He's not. I know, uh, poor guy. Clarence Thomas is and has been for a long time. Um, and and he hates the idea that nobody takes the Supreme Court seriously anymore because it's a political institution. And so I yeah, which I, is not supposed to be. By the way, everybody, these are supposed to be completely unbiased, middle of the road, whatever, whatever, whatever people. Yeah. Their so, wives are not supposed to be trying to overthrow the government. <laughs> yeah. So, so the chief justice did not actually vote to overturn Roe. He voted to uphold the Mississippi law, but not to overturn Roe for every state in the country. So the, the, the decision the chief justice made was only in Mississippi. And then he actually disagreed with the others in, in overturning Roe for the whole country. So I'm inclined, given that and given what Neil Gorsuch did two years ago, I'm inclined to be optimistic. And I mean, there is some hope, right? It's not like they illegalized abortion. It's not like they said that abortion was, you know, bad or whatever. They basically said it's up to the states. Unfortunately, we got a lot of shitty states. No offense to Tennessee, but fuck Tennessee. Um, for multiple reasons. You don't have to vaccinate your children in Tennessee, and I don't like that either. <laughs> but anyways, <laughs> no offense. <laughs> you, you do have to get kids all sorts of vaccines to go to school. It's just, really? you know, just COVID that, that um, at least, at least there's a lot of anti-vax people that moved to Tennessee. Oh, it's probably for homeschooling reasons then. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Um, it, Nashville is Nashville is a place full of, of a lot of very rich conservative people. And so mm. like that, I think other conservative people are like, oh yeah, I'm going to move to Nashville too and be with my people. Um, so, but last I checked, they Tennessee did not take away vaccine requirements for every other communicable disease in the world. All right, sorry, you know? Tennessee, but still, you kind of suck, anyways. Um, but that's that just my California liberal elitism because I. <laughs> I've had a lot of conversations about taxes recently, which I mean, your tax dollars are never going to abortions. Fucking relax. Um, I, I always come up with like, well, 
we have nice roads we have like infrastructure a lot of our buildings won't fall in an earthquake okay. <laughs> well this is what our tax dollars pay for and then you have like mitch mcconnell's lovely wasteland full of terrible education and healthcare, and just like yeah go live with mitch mcconnell then <laughs> Careful now. i'm actually from kentucky that's actually my home i've only been in tennessee for a few years well kentucky really sucks <laughs> I will fight you about this. Kentucky, <laughs> Kentucky is the best place in the world. California, ride or die. I mean, so yeah, I'm not affected, right? I can get my abortion if I want. Luckily, there's plenty of abortion funds that people will house you, pay for you to come out. It's great. But again, like, uh, whatever. I hate it. Abortion is all a big money run. But I feel like conservatives wouldn't really have to worry about abortion if we just had universal health care everybody could afford to have a baby well, how about that supreme court let's let's make it so everybody can have a baby Whatever. yeah i don't yeah they, they would they would probably tell you that that's congress's job again mm-hmm. <laughs> just like they would say the same thing abortion is not the court's job it's congress's job Healthcare sure. is not you know so. yeah i have a bone to pick with congress but, but for not codifying yeah, yeah, roe v wade yeah, the same people who would tell you that are the same ones uh, on the Supreme Court who voted to say that Obamacare was unconstitutional. So, yeah, don't even get me fucking started. Friends, I hope you have enjoyed this lovely economical view on abortion. I actually have a fun little statement. Well, not so fun. I have a statement from Spencer who could not be here with us today. It was a very difficult conversation for her and she was busy. Um, so here is her blurb that I will read on her behalf. I'm grieving a country where my daughter lost rights to her body before her first words were spoken. A country where her safety in schools and churches isn't guaranteed because political greed and the myth of personal freedom is only given to guns. Weapons are loved and viewed as sacred more than she is. This feels like the worst time in modern history to become a new mother. Still, I try to seek hope in those taking action, and I myself will fight every day for my daughter's future, a future where she is safe and valued. I've gone to bed this past week grieving for all the young girls, babies themselves, that will have to carry the babies of their abusers to term because some self-righteous monsters in power think it's, quote-unquote, God's plan. They're disgusting and don't give a damn about our babies because time and time again, they fail to protect the ones in our arms. Shame on them. Amen. Hallelujah. Um, oh, Spencer really channeled her inner Josie on that one. Heck yeah. Monsters they are. Amen. Um, you should be able to decide whether you could be a parent because honestly, you should need a fucking permit or something, a license to be a parent. In my personal opinion, you need a license to drive a car. <laughs> you should have a license to be a parent. Um, but again, bodily autonomy. I don't actually believe that. Well, Matt, uh, plug away your situations. You still have a book that people can still buy. Yeah. So the book is called Jesus Wept. Um, it's uh, about all of the reasons, economic, political, social, um, theological, all of the reasons why young people in America are just leaving churches in droves. Um, I, it, it's a great book. Read it. Um, <laughs> it. it it doesn't really get into the theology on abortion, um, sort of like I got to at the beginning of this podcast, um, but it does get into a little bit of the uh, economics about abortion. Um, I, I also run a newsletter called The Constituent. It's on Substack, so you can just Google Substack The Constituent or go to Substack and search it up. Um, and and it, there I sort of break down economic and policy issues in plain English um, that are easy for people to understand. Um, so it's, I think it's a useful resource. Um, and I also love audience interaction. People tell me what they want to learn about. Um, so, and then I'm on Twitter, Matt Young now. Um, give me a follow and uh you know i'm happy to answer any any more questions about sort of the the theology behind abortion um or the you know the writings of the the ancient ancient judaism second temple judaism early christianity all that sort of stuff i'm happy to have more discussions about that with anybody who would like to 
God bless. All right, friends. As always, you can find us on Instagram at Speaking in Church. You can find me at Josie Takes the World. You can find Spencer at Spence Rose. But she's not going to let you follow her. She's protecting her baby. So don't follow her. She's going to say no and it's going to hurt your feelings. So don't do it. (laughs) Maybe when the baby has her own Instagram when she's a teenager. But anyways. All right, friends. Stay woke or get woke. Please get woke. Oh, my God. Anyways, and Jesus loves you. Goodbye. This has been an Irreverent Media Podcast.